0: wrote a couple things down that i wanted to uh read um and and my 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 system hasn't so i'm going to bring it up off my phone i think uh, so that i don't make a mistake here Um, bear with me everybody i'm sorry So Wes took the first week of our time together and talked about inspiration, inerrancy, and infallibility of the Bible. And uh, Wes was raised um, in the Lutheran faith. He, he, his first call to the ministry was four decades ago when he was in high school. And he graduated from Fuller Theological Semina- Seminary in pa- Pasadena, California. Finally, things worked out for uh, for his life to be ordained in 1996. He's pastored in La Crescenta, California. La La, La How do you say that? La La Las Crescenta.
1: La Crescenta.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah, La Crescenta. La La Crescenta. Thank you. Thank you. N- n- no, well, and I can't roll my R's either. So uh, in in circle in Ricky, Montana, Burlington, Richie, Richie, Richie? Well, it says Ricky here, uh, Burlington, it could be a typo, mine, uh, Burlington and, and Butane, Colorado, Pueblo West, Colorado, then uh, Elro, Wisconsin, dear Lord, and back to Colorado to pastor two churches uh, that he was uh, pastor to. Um, Lutheran Church of Our Redeemer in Fort Morgan and Bethlehem Lutheran Church in Brush. A- and now his tenure here at St. John's Lutheran Church where we met him. So he just, he's a student of, of the word, of history. He just, uh, he, he fills the air uh with 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 knowledge and good things and well and other things i mean that he might fill the air with but we'll we'll i digress um it's hot air all right now ralph took our second week and if you haven't heard ralph's message or either one of these first two catch up uh, they're they're uh, on the website. They're uh, they're on our uh, they're on our uh, live stream through Boxcast, and you can catch up on them. But Ralph shared about the overarching storyline of the Bible. What is it? Uh, Ralph is Gallup certified. Uh, he's a Gallup certified strengths coach, Spiral Dynamics practitioner, software architect, family father, even family patriarch, lifelong learner, iconoclast. He's a thinker, a pastor in exile, and within the last years he's survived cancer, started a new career, deconstructed and reconstructed uh, his faith, and overcome several strokes of fate in his family. And he'll gladly help you through the similar things. He also loves to have deep conversations about the things that people are passionate about, and he can help you formulate your dreams, discover your gifts, And find your motivation what a great session that was last week and then uh, John is going to be ministering and and sharing our opening here today Um, and we've given him uh, the topic of let me see if I can read it here on this slide it's just too small for me to read but uh, is it on here yes it is how to read excuse me how to read and understand the Bible but is the highest revelation of God truly given to us through the Bible. Is the highest revelation of God truly given to us through the Bible? And then the Bible's highest value is revealing Jesus. Is that true? Is that the Bible's highest value, revealing Jesus? Uh, John's an ordained minister for for 35 years now. He earned his bachelor's. Uh, in Biblical Studies, a Master of Divinity, and a Doctor of Ministry in 1992. And then has gone on to further study the, uh, both Hebrew, the Hebrew language, and Hebraic spirituality through several diverse rabbinical scholars. He's been doing that for more than a decade. John ministers across the mountain line, traveling and speaking <coughs> in seminar venues, and churches across the United States, the United Kingdom, Europe, and Africa. Thirty-five years ago, he and his wife, Karen, founded Oasis of the Valley, a transformational church located in Monrovia, California. Then in 2013, John gave the senior pastor to his wife, Karen, and founded Foundation Rock Ministries International. It's a ministry designed as a gathering of apostolic and prophetic ministries from around the world as well as... through which oversight and counsel is provided to local pastors and leaders. Now we are part of that ministry and uh, part of that organization, our church and Nina and I. And then uh, I'd like to show you a picture here, Jeff, if you would, please put up the bio, JPEG, for Jeff. It's under the sermon setting there. It's under sermon and it's a JPEG and it's called John bio or Pick bio and it's under sermon yeah all right so here's a couple pictures of, of John uh, oh my goodness look at that man looks like something out of GQ magazine there on the upper left and then this is his wife Karen and then his family his son and his daughter and son uh, son-in-law there with the glasses and uh, So, uh, Dr. John, he's the father of two amazing children. His oldest, Christina, is married to a wonderful young man, Andrew, and uh, they have uh, his two lovely children. They have two lovely children, Lily and Hannah. Uh, Christina also serves as the associate pastor of Oasis of the Valley and assists in administering uh, Master Giovanni Ministries. So... Well, guys, it's great to have you with us again. I know that was a little long, but for people who haven't been watching at all, I, I wanted people to have a, a little bit of background on the panel and who's here today um, with us. And then John, as I said, is going to open up and take the next 10 to 15 minutes and give us an introduction based on uh, the topic of, um, that we have for today. Is the highest revelation of God... <coughs> given to us through the Bible.
1: John? Okay. Well, first of all, I'm gonna say thank you all for allowing us to be a part of this. it has been very enriching, and I look forward to uh, where this is going to go, uh, particularly the wrap-up next week. How how do you wrap such things up? Um, Okay. Let's uh, get into this so part three is the highest revelation of god truly given through the bible is the bible's highest value revealing jesus so hmm the bible with all its words isn't isn't exactly a place where revelation abides we've already shown i think in honest transparency going back to what uh oh wes or should i say weasley for my daughter's sake uh shared uh that that in both translations and greek texts there are limitations with variants and fragments and consider that there's not one original manuscript in existence that any apostle penned with his own hand furthermore the hebrew text which the apostles used as their scripture source wasn't is considerably more textually accurate as far as what's on the page yet when it comes to the Hebrew writings, it's a lot more to consider than just reading words, but the logic, the letter relationships involved, you know, to comprehend it. On top of this, even if we had the very tablets of stone given to Moses and the writings that followed, Jesus clearly pointed out we can search the scriptures thinking we found eternal life and still have found nothing, maybe even the opposite. Of it. The Apostle Paul wrote in the New Testament regarding the Tanakh, the Old Testament, quote, the writing kills. Also, it's the ministry of death, 2 Corinthians 3, 6 through 7. This is not to say that encrypted in it, the life-giving revelation of God can't be found. But before we can unearth such, we must first have the necessary spiritual qualities awakened within us to do so. The critical aspect to the revelation of the Bible is not really on the words of the page or even their logic and languages, but the consciousness behind the writings. It's there we need to connect.
0: Hey, John, can, the John, words... me? can John hear me? Can you hear yeah, me? I, I can hear you. Yes. Would, mm-hmm. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Uh, I hate doing that. Sure. Would you slide over as far as you can to your left?
1: to my left
0: yeah so whether that's your chair or if you can move the camera as far as possible because we're trying to put up some of these notes and and you are sharing some meaty meaty things so would uh jeff would we go back to the last statement john would you repeat the last statement that you just made
1: sure the critical aspect to the revelation of the Bible is not in the words on the page or even their logic and languages, but the consciousness behind the writing. Yes. It's, it's there beautiful. we need to connect. It's beautiful. The words are like a treasure map, or basically a copy of a treasure map, marking the direction toward our awakening. However, like any map, whether on paper or a smartphone, seeing where see where to go doesn't mean we've taken the journey. Rather, we still must travel the terrain to arrive to our destination, and in the case of spiritual awakening, the journey is just as important as any supposed destination. Now, regarding attaining any revelation, this doesn't come by external work, study, or memorization. It comes from an inner journey that unveils the living Christ within us. Like a radio or satellite television to grasp consciousness behind the words on the page, we must be dialed into the same frequency from which they were written and transmitted. This is only accomplished by our awakening to that consciousness. The beginning of this is what the Apostle Paul calls the mind of Christ. For that matter, once we start stirring within ourselves to that awareness, the words on the page will reflect a totally different image than what we may have perceived before. Thus, to respond to the first question, is the highest revelation of God given through the Bible, the answer would actually be, no. But it's a very important tool we can use to help discover it. One key pointer that the New Testament directs us to is where the revelation abides. It's found in two facets. In other words, there's one revelation with two dynamics. The first is in the person that physically walked on the earth, died and resurrected 2,000 years ago named Jesus. He does model, reveal maybe too strong of a word at the moment, of of what God likeness was and is. Jesus is an example of us emanating the Godhead. There's a difference between seeing Jesus as an example for us and an example of us. An example for us implies one who has arrived, the example, with a comparison to the other, namely us, those who have not attained, but are working at it. Thus, it's an implication of what we're not rather than who we are, with applying effort for those, you know, what we need to be doing. However, as an example of us, everything changes. Rather, being a comparison of whom we're not, in com- well, let me say that again. However, as an example of us, everything changes. Rather than being a comparison of whom we're not, it's now a compass of who we are. And being an example of us, we discover the living Christ, the living word, the mind of Christ within us, not something outside of us, at least not at first in a broad sense. If we can't see Christ within, we will be impaired seeing Christ in other ways, especially in the lives of others, whether they're conscious of him or walk in his likeness or not. Consider Peter, James, and John's experience on the Mount of Transfiguration. I think I mentioned this last week. We're told they saw the countenance of Jesus change as he spoke with Moses and Elijah. Then they heard the voice of the father saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, hear him. I would suggest that nothing changed regarding Jesus, Moses, or Elijah, nor the father. Rather, it was Peter, James, and John's awareness that changed, and they saw what was already present, and for that matter, always present in the Christ. Thus, it's neither Jesus nor our true selves, Christ within us, that ever really changes, but our awareness that does. This is the revelation of the gospel, hence the kingdom of God within us, Luke 17, 21. Now, despite Augustine's comment circa 400 AD, in his writing the city of god he says that what we believe helps us see but i honestly would say this is not the case in spiritual reality when we awa- what we awaken to is how we see and from that dynamic of consciousness becomes our conviction or belief if believing really helped us see then whatever we decide to believe is what we're going to see but <laughs> therein lies wars afflictions famines and even the antichrist This is not a place of spirituality, but an egoistic, serpentine, self-serving, sliding scale rooted in what's being seen as good or evil. Thus, faith isn't about believing the right things and because we do, we will then see the right things. Faith is a result of perceiving what's unveiled by our inner stirrings inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is why the predominant word for truth used in the New Testament Uh, by the New Testament writers is aletheia in Greek, which is a negative particle word meaning not concealed, which in Greek philosophy is used as the word for reality. It was here uh, Jesus showed us the gateway to revelation, a way to become aware and see and even be a revelation of the Creator. To take the point further, the Old Testament says something interesting in Genesis 15, 6, we know it as and he believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. Uh, in Hebrew, it's Vachamin by Yahweh, Vachashiva lo Sadek, Sadeka. If I was to literally translate it, it would be, and he believed Yahweh and he weaved in his thoughts to him as walking the path. An important note Abraham's belief to agree with God and what God opened to him didn't occur before he be, became conscious of what he was seeing and hearing, but after. In other words, many times we've been taught, first believe, then God will act. Yet this would be inconsistent with the narrative we find in the Bible regarding how spirituality, spiritual reality unfolds. Well, this is not true. a true definition of faith, it's part of the process we go through to awaken to it. As a reminder, faith doesn't precede seeing the upper worlds, but it's an inner transformation, which is our catalyst to see that becomes the basis of our faith. The Apostle Paul tells us that we are to progress from one faith dynamic to another in Romans 1.17. For Abraham, the gods of Ur were external. They were served by yielding to a list of rules, blood sacrifices, and were connected to the government of Ur, King, King Nimrod. But when Yahweh came to him, not the other way around, God became the living now, the I am. It wasn't Abraham's rejection of false gods that put him in a position to perceive the real one. You could say within that framework of thinking, rejecting false gods to attain a real God is just rejecting one set of idols for another. In modern day, we have idols clothed with Jesus t-shirts. And that's a perspective of one's consciousness. While that sounds harsh, it's simply a statement of our process. When we stir to the morning light that shines in our inner window, eventually we'll take the t-shirt off what we once understood as Christ and realize it's true use. We'll see what Jesus saw and what was actually a type of idol, if you will, a mannequin wearing our t-shirt. It's then we realize that we're to be clothed with that identity ourselves, Colossians 3.10. When that inner metamorphosis occurs, we find it's just the beginning to further awakenings, hence more revelations. Now, take a moment to reflect on these terms. I'm, I'm not trying to have anybody view them as good or bad, right or wrong. It's simply a description of our inner unveiling, how we progress from one place to the next. For Abraham, his awakening solidified when Melchizedek introduced God most high. After that, Abraham would see the other gods as false. The issue of true faith arising after we perceive and releasing what we knew were once types of idols. Well, ultimately, I think it's the questions that are being posed about the Bible right now. We'll find that as we progress in unveiling the living Christ within us, we're going to release the Bible as an unchangeable, inerrant word from God and see it for what it really is, and for that matter who we are. In other words, we'll release the Bible from being our idol, frozen and unmovable, and seeing it as a tool, mirroring the eternal mind from which it came. It's then we recognize that all the characters within its pages, and most importantly, Jesus, our example, were mere mannequins temporarily wearing our garment the garment we always wore without realizing it. So to respond to the second question regarding the Bible's highest value, is it Jesus? Let me give you a good Jewish Jesus answer. Yes and no. In the same way Jesus said to the Pharisees that in searching the scriptures, they think they found eternal life but didn't, Jesus added, those scriptures testify of me. May I suggest, that the reason Jesus was able to claim they testify of me is because he was in a place of awareness where he was able to find his reflection in them. Thus, he was on the same frequency. Similarly, when we say the the same of the, similarly, we could say the same of the New Testament. The religion of Christendom searches the scriptures thinking they find life, but rather they are those that testify of Christ within us. In other words, When Jesus peered into the Torah, he saw encrypted in it his story. When we peer into the New Testament encrypted in it, we're to see our story. Jesus is the archetype of us, not someone other than us. Christ, if we were to focus on the um, events of the Mount Transfiguration, I want you to consider this. If we bought three friends with us and we were the focus of the Mount of Transfiguration, they would see us transfigured before them. What would they see? Our countenance change into transcendent light and us speaking with the Godhead. The key is we really didn't change. Only our friend's perception did. May suggest that we are both the focus and the friend and are to see our true self in communion with the Trinity. This again is the revelation of the gospel. So is there a way to discover the path to the highest revelation of the Bible? Yes, it is Jesus. In a sense, yeah, but not on the pages of a book. That's only the treasure map reflecting the journey, or a mannequin wearing our garment. The Bible is an inspired road map, and if it had a legend like most maps, you know, measuring distances and miles and, and kilometers, we would see a cross but it wouldn't be a symbol of some payment for passage on a toll road, nor a landmark saying we've chosen the right way. Rather, it would be the key to unveiling the path before us. Unless realized within our inner self, the path remains invisible, even though it's right there on the pages of the Bible. It's like seeing on a roadmap that supposed road or street that's supposed to be right in front of us and yet we're unable to see it anywhere around us. Instead, I may suggest this, the cross on the legend is neither a symbol nor a mere historical event, but a way of focusing and unveiling what's hidden in plain sight. The cross is the frequency we're to dial into. This frequency is called compassionate humility, which unveils our true self fashioned from the fabric of divine compassion as we humble ourselves and choose to walk the journey of love a road with all their elevations depth depths and turns opens before us and becomes obvious the map on the other hand the bible only becomes a reference point to conclude using our earlier example of a radio dialed into the correct frequency to commune with the consciousness that penned the words of the Bible. The Apostle John said, God is love, and they that abide in love abide in God, 1 John 4, 16. It's the paradox of being aware of our fabricated self, the ego, which is the veil that obscures our true self, and pulling back to reveal that veil, opening, to, uh, opening our true self, Christ within us. This is called aletheia living in the truth, non-concealment. The moment we start the journey of divine love, we see Jesus as a living example of us, no longer the separate mannequin in a story on the pages of a book, but our story, unveiled as a living epistle written on our heart. Because truly, right here is where the highest revelation is both written and revealed. Thank you. Thank you.
0: the notes uh from that little talk are available just let me know that you'd like we have them in a pdf and i'll forward them to you anybody on the live stream that would like them as well well so john i heard uh, many things Uh, i want to be the first to ask a question so again for those of you in the live stream uh, type your engagement into the chat there let us know your thoughts uh it's not a matter of, well, I'm not sure what to say or I don't have anything positive to say. This isn't about that. This is a panel discussion, so we need to know your thoughts to discuss that, all right? It's not a matter of right or wrong, good or bad, do I agree or not. That's not the idea of the panel. So send us your thoughts in the chat window or text them to seven two zero eight seven eight three three two three. 878 3323 uh, those of you here in the sanctuary can, of course, be writing something out, and I already do have a, a question, which is somewhat a throwback to the previous session, number two. But let me ask this first. John, you, if, if I were to take everything you just said and call it down into a summary statement, give me a little more room, uh, please, camera people. If, if we can. Um, thanks. So the, the, you believe the Bible is inspired. I know Absolutely. To, I know you do. But from what I heard, we Christians have tended to turn it into an idol, something God never meant us to worship. And this, or instead of it being a road map to uncover, I, I love your last phrase here, that uh, this is about uncovering. So if, if we're living the truth, it's about non-concealment. You use that as the definition, non-concealment. So it would seem to me, tell me if I'm wrong. Does, is the primary purpose then of the Bible to lead us to a place of non-concealment where then we realize the beauty of who God is, how much he loves us, and and who we are in Jesus? Is that the fundamental purpose of the Bible?
1: Well, I think to, to some measure, we may have to rewind to Wes's discussion uh, at that point, and, and talk there. My my view would be this: the the Bible, as we currently have it, I guess that's, <laughs> that's the, the, another that thing that's to, talk to talk about. about. But <laughs> the the Bible in it, the way I would put it this way is the Bible's is like looking into a house of mirrors. Um, that's how I would see that. And it's all these different reflections. It makes me think of Ezekiel, the first chapter, where it talks about um, Ezekiel being in the river, river of Khabar and and that phrase is that it's 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 all these reflect. He talks about seeing a revelation of God, but the Hebrew there talks about manifold reflections that he's seeing all these different pictures. And I think the issue is, is the marriage between where we are and what's being reflected to us in the Bible. So the Bible becomes a roadmap in the, in the I know these are all metaphors that we're trying to use to explain it, but the Bible reflects to us where we are in the process for the most part. And that's where the inspiration comes. The, the challenge is, is when I get stuck on verses and translations, and then start referring to things like, well, the Greek says this and the Greek says that, which is really nice, but the problem is is we have different Greek texts with variances even in their words. The Bible is really these mirrors reflecting where we're at, because I'll put it this way. For me, what do you want to call it? the source of salvation, where you want to talk about our identity? It's in the living person of Jesus we discover within ourselves that's where the ultimate revelation abides. So I don't know, maybe I've gone off topic a bit. Uh, Well, I
0: love that because, see, I keep going back to the fact, and so many people seem to be ignorant of this or just unwilling to admit it. The Bible you have in your hands today has not always existed. You do understand that. What we call the Bible is a collection, actually, of writings that didn't even exist for the first three, 400 years of Christianity. Now, how did those people find God, know God, have a relationship with God, be close to God, when they had no Bible to read? And so to make it an idol, to make it... The central focus of the only way I can relate to God or know him or be reve- have him revealed or me be revealed as to who I am in Christ depends on me being able to read copy. See? That, that's, so listen, listen to this verse. It came to mind as you were sharing, John. This is from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. You may want to write it down for anyone listening. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit... And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Not bondage to a letter or to a book or to... And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into His image with intensifying glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Not the Bible. It comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The Bible is the roadmap. I digress. When ready, we do have a question already. Anyone? Okay, so here's a question that was posed, and it really bleeds back into week number two, uh, Ralph. Uh, If we say Cain may or may not have killed Abel, or that the, quote, the flood may or may not have covered the whole earth, where does that kind of questioning stop do we say jesus may or may not have died on the cross in my opinion either you believe the bible or you don't
1: ralph do you want to chime (laughs) in on that first go for it
2: of course course. yep um, i think that there is much more truth to the Bible than just historical factuality, historicity, if you want. I think that the outflow of the Bible in my life is how do I apply it to my life? How can I learn? How can I grow and all that? And frankly, for me, it doesn't really matter whether that story has happened in the past or not, because That doesn't make a difference to my application. I said last time that uh, Jesus told us that when we thought of something, we have committed that. So he said us, if you thought of murdering somebody that you have committed murder. And in that way, I have been already enacting Cain. And I know that some people would have really loved to uh, <clears throat> to kill me in their thoughts because I'm overflowing with with ideas they don't understand and all that and and so I have been in in the role of Abel and how I react in both of those roles or in the role of a father having to react to the struggle of my two children that really got hefty at sometimes that is what I learned from this story and it's much more important to me than uh, really knowing, whether uh, that Cain actually was the first to kill his brother and that they actually were named Cain and Abel. We're talking about uh, Alexander the Great great taking on and, and conquering the whole world. He actually did not conquer the whole world, but he conquered the whole world known to him. So when the Bible tells us that the flood, for example, covered the whole world, could it be that it was just the whole world known to the people that were talking about it? And does it really matter whether it was the whole world or not? So I'm not saying that those stories have not happened. I'm saying that the more important things that we can learn from them is, They're happening over and over again in our lives. We're facing natural crisis. We're facing um, thoughts and and, uh, committing sin and all that. And we're reacting to it. And we have those stories telling us how people reacted in the past and what we can learn from it yes it's hard to decide which story is metaphorical which story has happened but once i let go of that i can profit from every story and then i still have the holy spirit that the holy spirit will speak to me and remind me that i don't go like uh, as far as saying that jesus didn't die on the cross i think that's a central uh not only a central story, but it's a central action to our faith, and very important. So it for me, it's out of the relationship with the Holy Spirit that I look at the Bible, and I'm profiting from the Bible by applying it to my life, not by declaring it historically accurate.
1: Well, that, that works for me. Um, I can't hear you, Jeff, if you're talking. Well, I, I think, and I still can't hear you, but. Um, I'm sorry. that was my bet. Uh, oh, there you go. There you go. Go ahead.
0: Does anybody else want to comment specifically about that question?
1: I, I would just like to add that virtually every rabbi i ever studied hebrew with or or its religious roots doesn't look at the bible as an emphatic absolute historical document nor for that matter a book of science where you can now uh, use it as scientific fact in everything that happens. And now our science has to match the Bible, and vice versa. However, they will always say to you that the 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 stories in the Bible, whether historically referenced or not, which I think is what Ralph was saying, I'm just saying it a different way, is divinely inspired truth, and that's what we need to extract from them. That's what we need to grasp. And I would like to also suggest for us to, to do that, as Ralph was saying about how the holy, trusting the Holy Spirit to speak to us. I, the other side of that is dialing into that frequency, the frequency of the Holy Spirit. And believe it or not, my, my, my reading the Bible doesn't necessarily dial me in. What actually dials me in is a walk of compassion and humility. When I discover humility, when I discover what compassion is and I start coming from that space, that dials me in. Uh, if not, the, many times, I mean, gosh, we can reference historically people who have said God had spoken to them and horrific things have happened and use the Bible as a tool to do it. So that is something to consider. The issue is, is do I want to put my faith in the words in a page alone? Or am I putting my trust in a resurrected living Christ that is in each of us? And I think that's something, again, I'm maybe re- referring back to something Pastor West said. Uh, and the first thing, I don't know if you have anything, Pastor West, you wanted to say about that, but that reminds me of several things you said in the first session. My reference
3: point that's coming to mind, John, is... Jesus, Jesus on the road to Emmaus, with Cleopas and his other friend. And when he took them back into the Hebrew Scriptures, I think, I believe, Jesus showed them those places, those stories of compassionate humility. And if we took eyes, heart, mind, Back into the Hebrew scriptures with that view, as opposed to the current very Protestant North American 21st century view of trying to prove things and value things and sort out who's in and who's out, and us versus them. But the Jesus view of what he was doing on Emmaus with Cleopas and his friend is completely, dead. how do you, you know, my question of the five ideas that percolated from what you said, John, my one is, so when we go back into the Hebrew scriptures, how do we read them? And I know what I've been taught. I know it, you know, and it wasn't a Jewish way and it wasn't a Hebrew way of thinking. It was a very slanted, downright prejudiced view of White, North American, evangelical is, you know, in the blank. But if, if the way, you know, the story of Achan, where is that? Judges, Joshua? You're going to view that completely differently. You know, the whole idea of having a lottery for somebody to die. I mean, there's some Old Testament stories. Lord have mercy, you preach through the Bible from beginning to end and have to stop for a while in Joshua and Judges. We don't like those books. Now, read them through the lens of compassionate humility. Read them through the eyes of the the forgiving victim on the cross. Father, forgive them. They're clueless. And go into the Hebrew Scriptures with that. You're, it's going to crease your brain, but hopefully bend your heart and soften your heart. But that's where I'm at.
0: So uh, c- could I suggest, uh, Brad Jerzak mentioned the idea of the emmaus way of interpretation the emmaus interpretation of the bible which as you just said is to in every listen to me everybody in every story of the bible no matter what it is Cain and Abel the flood uh, Jesus on the cross uh, Peter in the boat and steps out of the boat onto the water uh, Paul you know, preaching before the crowds, whatever it is, whatever story you're reading in the Bible, that we find Jesus in that story and ask ourselves, what about Jesus is being revealed that I then can take and apply in my life? It's not dissecting the passage of Scripture, pulling it apart, saying, okay, what's true? What date did this happen? How can I prove it? Oh, you know, what a bunch. And that's the way I was taught to read the I Bibles, know, to dissect it and prove it true rather than understanding the Jesus that's in each one of the stories. We're going to take a question from the live stream. Stephen says, um, scroll here and get the context of this. I once heard it said that the Bible is not the word of God, but it can be meaning that once you learn to hear God speaking, then you can hear that in the Scriptures. Is this similar to your point?
1: Uh, assuming you're speaking to me at that point, because I, what I said earlier, yes, I, I would say that is. Uh, yeah, I, I would say that. The I'd like to give you an idea, and I think this relates to something that Wes just said. I want to just read a few scriptures to you from the New Testament, uh, actually this is part of the final chapter of, of the new book that's coming out. But I want you to listen to these verses. For example, and when Jesus saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep without a shepherd. How about this one? When Jesus went out and saw the great multitude, he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. Uh, here's another one. This is Matthew 15:32. I should have gave you the references on the others. Now Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they now have continued with me three days. We can go on and on. Uh, Matthew 20. And, the Lord, and they said to him, Lord, uh, Jesus asked, what would you want me to do? They said, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. It says, so Jesus has compassion and touched their eyes. For me, one of the key aspects here is this, I, I, this, this, this discussion of compassion. Jesus is responding through compassion. Compassion, we would have to say, is definitely the nature of the Father. God is love. We also know scriptures where... Jesus says things like, I only say what I hear the Father say, and I only do what I see the Father do. Hence, it's compassion, God is love. It, God doesn't have love, God is love. That's what's radiating here. Now, I don't think anybody would disagree that Jesus is a manifestation of that compassion. And we follow that, track that right up, and we see it right on the cross. Would you all agree with me on, on that? I assume that's a yes, I didn't hear anything, but okay. okay. Um, I would now like to read okay i would now like to read a verse from the book of exodus the second six chapter in the, the sixth, sixth verse okay we are I'll, I'll, let me start with verse five i think that'll be better the daughter of pharaoh came down to bathe at the river and her maidens walked along the riverside and when they saw the ark in the reeds she sent to her maid to get it and when she opened it She She saw saw the child child, and behold the baby wept. So So she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrew children. Now what I'm saying to you is in that moment, this pagan woman, Pharaoh's daughter, the enemy of God was moved by the Christ. And because she was moved by compassion, that, that impacts, impacts the entire, the entire story. story. If, if she wasn't, because she was, she was a pagan, pagan couldn't, couldn't respond, respond to the heart of God in that moment, <laughs> well, the babe would probably be down the river at this point and drowned. And that would be, <laughs> be the end of the Bible, it stops this Okay, but no, at that moment, that's what the, it becomes a limitless thing. She saw through. She wasn't thinking about any of, of, of the fact that he's a Jew, he's a Hebrew, he's a slave. She She was was moved moved by something greater, greater. no different different than when Jesus was moved by that he was was accepted. Wow.
0: Okay, here's a question uh, submitted in the congregation here on paper. How, How do we battle, quote, how do we battle evil in this world and our own lives while we look to grow our inner self?
1: Well, <coughs> I guess, I guess first, first of all, we all need to, to define, define what's, what's evil <laughs> when you say, say that, because become, um, I, come I come from, from a school, school of thinking, thinking that one of the, the key, key things that, is that causes cause the caused the fall for all fall humanity, humanity, hence brought death to all, to humanity, all humanity, spiritually, spiritually speaking, speaking, is the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, i keep it simple, uh, there for the moment. Thus, if... we are are going going to to discern discern what evil evil is based on on that that tree, tree, we probably are are going going to start start on the wrong foot anyway. However, However, you did talk talk about what's what's going going on on in here. here. And I would would suggest that in in contrast to to compassionate humility is is the serpent, serpent, for lack of a better better word, word, called the ego. ego. And And it's it's there that that we we will find uh, I, think I think it answers to your, to your question. question. It's, it's not, not something, something that's, that's going to happen here, here as, as, much as much as it, it happens here. Happens this follows here. many times. You know, consider it's, it this, it this way. way. The thing that got, got Jesus, Jesus crucified, was crucified was the place of place the skull. skull. <laughs> okay. Wow. <laughs> so, so, you know, you know I, I don't know if that's, that's answering your question, question directly except to say, as far as, as far as finding Christ in here, Christ reading here, my Bible, spending, spending time, time with other people, they're on the same kind of journey to discover to Christ within them. them. That's, That's the system, system God created. Them. I mean, think about it. When the Apostle Paul, the, Pastor Jeff just Paul's read a, a few, few, few minutes, minutes ago from the Apostle, from the Apostle Paul in the 2nd chapter of Corinthians, uh, thir- uh, thir- uh, excuse me, the 2nd Corinthians 3, 3rd chapter, about the liberty in life that we have by the Spirit. Paul was never thinking on terms of a leather-bound book um, be, and all his writings being put together in a nice, nice nicely bound uh, book with a leaf uh, in the front that says the New Testament. Never thought on those terms.
0: We have a question from the um, live stream. Matt says, if the truest form of revelation, and maybe this is just a comment, I haven't read through it Entirely, If the truest form of revelation happens in or on our heart and in our minds, how do you know that what has been revealed to you is from God? Because there's many cults and sects within Christianity or religion that claim to be Christian that are clearly off-base and damaging to people's lives.
2: I think that one of the biggest problems the English language has is that it has conflated the you and the you. Uh, Singular you and plural you and with individuality rampant in your culture, you apply everything in the Bible to the singular you when it when it says there you I and there is much value in the plural you. And many promises has o- have only been given to the pr- plural you. And uh, when you form a community of people that has no taboos with each other, that really loves each other, there will be correction, there will be guidance, there will be discussion and dialogue that lead further to the truth. That it's not just your heart and your ego uh, or your true self and your ego in conflict, but it's, together being together on a path. And I think really trusting the relationship you have with the Holy Spirit with God talking to you, using that cross as the key to open the the path and and the map for you. And then trusting the people around you that you're with is key to not falling uh, to the wayside.
1: I I, I totally agree with Ralph. Uh, One of the rabbis I studied with about 15 years ago, he always used to say this, the three most important things you can have is the rav, the teacher, the rav, the books, and the group. Those are essential. Yes, there's the teacher who's a bit learned, knows maybe walk the path a little bit further ahead. Then, of course, there's the issue of the books themselves. In our case, we would include... You know, the New Testament as well as the Torah, as well as other inspired things other writers have written. Pastor Jeff just mentioned Brad Jerzek, for example, as one who was inspired to write on on these on these topics. But an essential element is the is the group, not a closed group where we have the truth, etc., but a group that is living together the discovery of the Christ, the reality of God within each one of us. And believe it or not, that's the power of it. Being the kind of isolated monk on a, up on a mountain in a cave, you know, and getting all the divine revelations there uh, is is not the way we were designed. We we are designed like the Trinity, a a communion of inter interrelationships revealing the God, uh, the Godhead. Okay,
0: that was a little faint for me. Maybe it's just in my ears. I don't know, John. If it's a matter of moving closer to your, to your mic there, uh, recognizing uh, Stephen comments and says recognizing genre between biblical books, genre. Excuse me. Recognizing recognizing genre between biblical books can also help us decide what may be historical and allegorical. Ralph says, I agree. Sometimes we just assign the um, what's it called?
2: <laughs> it's genre. Okay, we... I, I'm gonna take Sometimes take that one, just assign
0: genre from our understandings instead of having our understanding being inspired by the genre.
2: I agree with Steven, by the way, I agree that when we look at creation story, it's a couple of poems. And we should actually recognize from that fact that it's poems, that it's probably more allegorical than historical or scientific. But at times we actually assign different genres, because we understand a story to be historical, we say it's a prose text, and not all prose text ought to be historical, they can be allegorical as well. Uh, They can be parables, metaphors, whatever you name it. But uh, it's usually the lens that we look through that defines on how we understand uh, the text. And we should step back and look at the text like critical text theory did for for a long time, Uh, look at the text, what it really is, and then Get our understanding from that.
0: That's been such a change in the way that I view and understand the Bible. Um, To just simply realize I read the Bible with American glasses. Are, Are you all hearing me? You read the Bible with American lenses. That's not how somebody in the Middle East reads the Bible or understands it. That's not how somebody in Africa reads the Bible. and uh, Oh, that's why we send them missionaries, to convince them that our way is right and to lead them to the true Jesus. Really? You see, that's, that's not in the Bible either as your mission. So, yeah, gosh, I love, I love this discussion. You've been a quiet bird, but there's been a lot of talking.
3: A great illustration for me was uh, a New Testament professor, Mark Allen Powell, took the story, the great, wonderful, memorable story, the prodigal son, and he took it on the road. He took it to his students in Columbus, Ohio. He took it to some seminary students in St. Petersburg, Russia, and he took it to some uh, village people in Tanzania. And every one of those groups, responded to the story of the prodigal son exactly like you're talking about, Jeff, in completely different ways. As I experienced when I was three months in Ethiopia, not Tanzania, um, the most offensive thing about the prodigal son's story to the people in Tanzania, how could this poor, starving boy survive out in this outer country and the people not treat him with hospitality. We, we could care less about that in America. And the people in Tanzania, the people in Africa, probably the number one cultural value, Christian, Muslim, animist, you name, is hospitality. You don't ever let people, your neighbor, go without. That's what the people in the people in Saint Petersburg. They say we've suffered through a severe potato famine in our lives. We know what that kind of destitution is about. Really? Do you remember in the Prodigal Son story there was a famine in the land? Oh, we just blow right by that because we're Americans and we know nothing about famine. We complain about gas prices and during COVID that they're not being bred on the shelves. Excuse me, we know nothing of a a famine. Completely, exactly what you're saying. From different cultural views, and I'm going to go back and harp on what John said, it's compassionate humility. If we have the eyes of, I'm going to say Jesus, compassionate humility, then we will could possibly be the pagan that views the baby in the basket with the eyes of Jesus. The pagan has better eyes of Jesus than we do sometimes because we're sitting back trying to figure out who's in, who's out, who's evil, who's good, which is true, which is false. And the Samaritan walks by and says, this person has been beaten and they're nigh unto death. You take care of them. You just do. That's compassionate humility. You want, a, you want a, a gem, a key a, a, that unlocks the door? It's that. John nailed this one today.
0: Yeah, that was a great one.: You comment. need
3: to get these three-plus pages. Yeah, please. Um, um, let anybody us know. Anybody and
0: everybody. Uh, let us know. Get, send us an email address. Uh, here's how I have always read the story of the prodigal son. Th- this is my American lens and Jeff's growing-up lens. Prodigal? You left your father's house. You shouldn't have done it. The judgment of God has come upon you. Good. You're feeding slop to pigs. Serves you right. And hopefully you'll turn around and come back. But if you don't, you'll burn in hell. <laughs> that was kind of my conclusion. And I know. Fortunately, a, he turned around. And he came back. His father, you know, threw him a party and loved him. But what Yeah, but he, I'm
3: the elder brother. But I'm the older yeah, brother. You're the
0: older brother in the yeah. story.
3: You knucklehead. What are you throwing a party for him for? How dare you celebrate the lost being found? How dare you celebrate grace and mercy and joy? And, yeah. You're just getting in the way of me. So
0: everyone, do, do you see how there's such a variety? We, we don't need to give up what's precious to us about our views of the Bible and how we see things. What this panel of speakers is inviting you to do is expand the way you understand and read the Bible. After all, the the title of the discussion panel or the series is How to Read and Understand the Bible. Okay, so hopefully some things you're hearing are challenging you. And next week... I'm going to take what all three of these brilliant minds have said, and I'm going to sort of summarize it and roll it into a ball and bring my own flavor into some things. And I, I, I think you're really, I think you're going to like it. I can't even remember what my two topics are. But I can tell you, you're going to like what my two topics are. Okay, so you need to be sure to be here. We're going to celebrate communion, everyone. So for those of you in the live stream, I trust that you've, gotten your elements to do that with us. And this morning, here's the reflection I'd like us to focus on as we receive the bread and the juice. That Jesus gave his body not to lock us into something. He gave us body so that we could, I want to use John's phrase, come out of concealment. Jesus shed his blood so that we could come out of concealment and enjoy the fullness of life so as you take the elements today the bread and the juice i'm praying that supernaturally the holy spirit will bring you into a new life of openness and freedom from conceal, concealment and feeling like you know you you have to hide because you don't measure up to the law code of the bible i'm asking god to bring all of us into a new hour here of openness and awareness of the goodness of God revealed by His Spirit and through the precious story, the narrative, if you will. I'll talk about this next week. The narrative of the Scripture.